turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Romans 8, verses 1 through 17, which reveals to us something of the working of the triune God in and for our salvation. The Son, God's own Son, verse 3, sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. And because of his coming in our likeness, he has come for sin and so condemned sin in the flesh. And as such, we belong to the Spirit of God and our sons of God. Having received the Spirit of adoption, we are told, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Though it is a great mystery to us, we do confess that our salvation, that salvation which is of the Lord, is a salvation which is of the Father through the Son and in the Holy Spirit, for which reason the church has sung for ages, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. But we must remember that this glory which we ascribe to the one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not a glory that they have somehow achieved, but it is a glory that simply and truly is. We ascribe a glory to the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. The Father is, always has been, always will be the Father. The Son is, always has been, always will be the Son. And the Spirit is, always has been, and always will be the Spirit. And I say that in reference to the question of the catechism that we come to consider today. What reason, for what cause, question 32, is Christ called the only begotten Son of God when we also are the sons of God? Well, the simple answer is that Christ is called the only begotten Son of God because he is revealed in Scripture to be the only begotten Son of God. The very Jesus who is named Savior, 
the very Christ who is the anointed and appointed mediator between God and men, is, though he came into the world, not one who came to be. As God's own son, again, he always has been, always is, and always will be. The scriptures teach and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, who is, even without respect to God's works, his work of creation and even his work of redemption, this one is the only begotten Son of God. And we come to this particular question, again, in our exposition of the Catechism, in our exposition, or the Catechism's exposition of the biblical truth regarding our deliverance, our redemption by Christ, by Jesus the Savior, Christ the Mediator. And in its exposition of this great work of salvation, this divine work of salvation, the Catechism begins giving to us an understanding of the names and the titles of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it does so in giving exposition to the Apostles' Creed, the creed in which we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, His that is the Father's only begotten Son, our Lord. We've already seen what the Scriptures teach regarding this name, Jesus. Again, it is a name that means Savior, even as the angel pronounced to Joseph that he shall be called Jesus, because it is he that shall save his people from their sins. He is given the title Christ, granted the dignity of the name anointed, because he is anointed. Anointed by his Father with the Spirit above measure. An anointing that occurs particularly in his baptism, in which the Spirit descends as a dove and lights upon the Lord Jesus Christ. On the very occasion in which his own Father says of him, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That anointing confers upon him that which is necessary for his work of mediation, his work of reconciling God to men, men to God through his cross. It is an anointing which speaks to his eternal appointment, moreover, to be the Christ, to be the mediator. And yet now we come and confess because the scriptures teach that this same one is the only begotten son of God, the only begotten son of the Father. This Jesus, this Savior, this Christ, this mediator and surety 
is the eternal and natural Son of the Eternal Father. Unlike the names, the dignities, Jesus and Christ, this name is not one that is taken to Him or given to Him in virtue of taking our flesh upon Himself. He is the Son of God, not respect, not with respect to the workings of God, but with respect to who He is. He does not come to receive this title in virtue of His incarnation and satisfaction, but His incarnation and satisfaction reveal to us that He always has been, again is and ever will be this Son of the Father. This is a name that speaks to His personal subsistence within the one holy trinity. It speaks to his eternal relation to the Father, his eternal relation also to the Spirit. He just is the Son. And we come to understand that not only from the revelation of this truth in Scripture in and of itself, but we come to understand it as the Catechism teaches us, in relation to our own sonship. We come to see something of who this Jesus is, who this Christ is, as the Son of God, in juxtaposition with how we are sons of God. For the Scriptures teach that we receive this sonship. It is a gift of grace bestowed upon us by God. It is conferred, given, and received. But the Son, God's own Son, just is the Son. Not as a matter of grace, but as a matter of, we might say, nature. Not as a gift received in time, but as the Son of the Father. Before all time. The one who is, in the language that John uses to express this mystery, the one who just is in the bosom of the Father. We learn, in short, that as the scriptures teach here in Romans 8, as well as in Galatians 4, where Paul uses similar language. That the Son of the Father has always been the Son of the Father. While we who were once slaves to sin become sons in virtue 
of what this one son of the father has done. There are, we might say, two orders of sonship, which are in certain ways analogous, but in ways that remind us that our sonship ultimately depends upon the natural and eternal sonship of the only begotten Son of the Father. And as we see that taught in Scripture, we want to consider two things as summarized by the Catechism as taught in Holy Scripture. First of all, we want to notice and understand that Jesus Christ is the natural and eternal Son of the Father. This is what the Catechism says in answer to that question. For what cause is Christ called the only begotten Son of God when we also are the sons of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of the Eternal Father. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is, John tells us, the one whom we behold His glory, glory as the only begotten Son of the Father. He's the one in whom God has spoken to us, according to the author to the Hebrews. The one who is the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his purpose, or power, excuse me, or person. He is the one to whom the Father says in Psalm 2, quoted in Hebrews 1 and verse 5, Thou art my Son, today have I begotten Thee. In Romans 8, verse 3, God's own Son. A term or language that is Repeated throughout this chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We are conformed, foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, that is the Son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 32, he that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? God's own Son, God's only begotten Son. He is his natural and eternal Son. What does that mean? To say that he is his natural son means that he is not an 
adopted son. And that the kind of person that Jesus or the son is, is the kind of person that the father is. And even in that, that's not exactly the best way to express it because there is no kind of divinity. There is no genus or species of divinity. God is himself above these human ways of speaking and yet in revealing himself to us, he uses human language. And he uses this language of son to communicate that the one who is of the father is his own son, his own natural son, his own essential son. The one who is, as later creedal language would put it, of the same essence as the Father. Not like essence, as human father is to human son. We having the same human nature, but as it is individualized and particularized in us, not in that way, but as one who is not made, not created, not adopted, but one who is begotten of the Father before all worlds. One who doesn't have a time when he came into existence, a time when he was not, as it were. The Son has always been the Son. And yet, in a manner of speaking, the divine essence that the Father has, that the Son has, that the Spirit has, that the Father is, the Son is, and the Spirit is, is communicated to him of his Father, from his Father. This is what we speak of in theology as the eternal relations of origin, the particular personal properties of the Son are that He is the Son who is from the Father. Not from the Father in a way of creation or manufacturing, but from the Father in terms of existence. In terms of how it is that He relates to the Father and so then to the Spirit who proceeds from both. He is His natural Son. He is begotten of the Father. But He is His eternal Son. Meaning that He is begotten before all worlds. Again, there is never a time when the Son was not. He is eternal. And so... As the Nicene Creed reminds us, He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, 
being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Of the same essence, of the same eternity, of the same power. God's own Son is God. But in relation to the Father, He is the one eternal, natural Son of the Father. The express image of the Father. The radiance of the Father's glory. To say He is the natural Son is to say He is of the same substance of the Father begotten before all worlds. To say He is eternal is to say that that relation between Father and Son, His being the Father's own Son, is not something that ever came into existence nor will it ever go out of existence. It just is reality. Is, always has been, always will be. God's own Son God's own Son I have a Son I can say He is my own Son But the manner in which my son is mine, or the manner in which I am a son of a father, and he can say of me, he is my own son, differs from the way in which this son is the father's own son. Think of it for just a minute. Because the scriptures tell us that this son is the eternal son, because he is the one who just is in the bosom of the Father, who just is, the radiance of his glory and the express image of his person. There was never a time when the Father was without the Son. Meaning that there was a time when I was without a Son and was not a Father. There was a time when my Father was not a Father without His sons. My own fatherhood could at some point come to an end and will come to an end. Despite the fact that there is a natural likeness between me and my son or between my father and me. I received my existence as a human being From my Father. My Son receives His existence as a human being from me. 
but he is different. I am different. Not so with God. Though father and son are distinguished as father and son, they are not distinguished as God. They are not distinct as God. They are both God, and yet there is one God. And the father's own son has never not existed as son. And he never will not exist as his son. Human fatherhood and sonship come and go. Divine fatherhood and sonship never do. And the wonder and the glory and the mystery of this reality is that this father and this son save us. The father sending his own son in the likeness sinful flesh for sin in order to make satisfaction for our sin and the penalty of sin in order to condemn sin to put sin to death in the very flesh which committed sin the father sent his only begotten son The eternal father sent his eternal son into the world to redeem sinners who had rebelled against him and run from him. Jesus Christ is the natural and eternal son of the father. And we are told these things in the scriptures so that we might believe rightly concerning the true God. The Son in whom we believe, whom we confess in the creed because it is taught in the scriptures is begotten of the essence of the Father and is therefore true God by nature as one has put it. And as well then that we might believe and understand something of that love which God has shown to us. The love that the Father has for His own Son and the Son has for the Father. That's shown to us in the fact that out of that love the Father sent His only begotten into the world so that whosoever might believe upon Him would have eternal life. John 3, verse 16. And in that respect, then, we need to notice not only that Jesus Christ is the natural and eternal Son of the Father, but secondly, that this Son, His own God's own Son, this Son of the Father, makes us 
sons by adoption. There is a natural and eternal son of the father. And in that son, in virtue of what he has done, we become sons. He is the son and he is sent to bear our likeness to bear our condemnation so that we in Him might no longer be condemned and that we might be adopted as sons. The Apostle goes on in this context to speak of who is no longer condemned. Who it is that is in Christ Jesus. Who it is that is adopted in Christ by the Spirit in virtue of what Christ had done as God's own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Who is it that has benefited from His condemning sin in the flesh? It's those who are indwelt by the Spirit. Not that this indwelling precedes what Christ does, but it is the blessing and the fruit of what Christ does and testifies to what we are in Christ and what we shall be when our mortal bodies are raised up in the likeness of Christ. And as such, Paul goes on to say in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, governed by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For ye receive not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are adopted in virtue of what Christ, the Son of God, has done in condemning sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. We are given the Spirit who makes us sons in virtue of what the Son incarnate has done. And this adoption is the spirit not of bondage, again unto fear. That is, in our adoption, we are given a new legal status. We are regarded no longer as slaves to sin, but we are legally and officially considered, regarded, named sons. Given that legal status that confers upon us the rights of sons, the very same rights that those who are sons by birth would have had. The right of children and heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 
Paul says. We are given the adoption of sons in the Son, which brings us into a relation to the Father in which we are regarded as children, heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs of the inheritance that Christ has gained for us. But the point here is that this adoption is given to us by the Father in His Son through the Spirit. And this adoption, this gift, is one which is received by us, bestowed upon us. Not something that is ours by nature, but by grace. Not something which speaks to our eternal existence, but which speaks to our now present spiritual existence as we presently suffer with Christ, awaiting our glorification with Him. Verse 17. We are sons, just as the Son is. But we are not sons in the same way. Even in the incarnation, Jesus Christ remained the Son who is of the same essence as the Father. Even in the incarnation, He remained God's own Son. He did not cease to be the only begotten Son of the Father. He did not cease to dwell, as it were, in the bosom of the Father. No, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the glory that we beheld is that glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. And the way in which we come to behold that glory is that we are given the right to become the children of God. John 1 and verse 12. We are made sons. He is not made a son. He is a son. But in that son, because of his incarnation, because of his satisfaction, because of his sending the spirit into our hearts, we are now no longer slaves to sin, but sons. And just as the reality of who Jesus is as the natural and eternal Son of God is given and revealed so that we might be instructed in the true faith and know the true God. So this teaching that we are the sons of God in the Son of God and through the Spirit of God, this is given for our instruction. Given that we might know of the nature and character of that eternal life which is ours. We've received the spirit of adoption such that as we cry, Abba, Father, we acknowledge that we are in a particular, a special relation to the Father in His Son through His Spirit. But not only for instruction 
Not only that we might know what we are and what we shall be, but so that we might know the only true consolation and comfort of being adopted sons in and by the natural and eternal Son of the Father. Though we wait, though we wait for the full realization of our adoption, verse 23, which is the redemption of our body, we do not wait without true hope. For you see, verse 29, those whom God foreknew, he also foreordained what? To be conformed to the image of his son. We are presently heirs, joint heirs with Christ, suffering with him, but we will be glorified with him because the very purpose for which the Son came into the world is that we might be shaped into his image. That though again the manner of our sonship differs from the manner of his sonship, he is natural and eternal son. We are adopted sons. But we, brethren, shall be made like unto him. John tells us this as well. Not only shall we be made like unto him, but we shall see him. And this, this gives us comfort, assurance. Because he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, verse 32, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Not temporal blessing, earthly blessing, but all the things of our promised hope, all the things of our salvation. The Son, God's own Son, not spared. God's own Son, delivered up for us, so that we might be given all the blessings of His Obedience and satisfaction. Indeed, nothing can be laid to our charge. God has justified us in Christ. Christ intercedes for us. And so, 
we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The father who loves his own son by nature and eternally. The son who loves his father by nature eternally. This God loved us. And so neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor present nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, our sonship in the Son is for our instruction. It's for our conviction that we might presently walk as sons. As Paul teaches even in the earlier verses of chapter 8. But this, my friends, this beloved in the Lord Jesus. Those of you who are beloved in the Son. Who is the Father's well-beloved. You, as a son in the Son, are a child of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. And if so, both now and forevermore, you shall be. A son of your heavenly father. You are assured of the hope, the expectation that you will receive an inheritance, an inheritance that belongs to those who are sons. And you will receive this inheritance because of the Son. We were once slaves to sin. Slaves to Satan who holds the power of death. Children of wrath. But now... We are children by adoption, by grace, in the Son of God's love. And as one author puts it, this title, Son, this title, Children, is not an empty title. For as he says, since we are members of the Son of God, we have by His grace real communion with Him. That is why he is called the firstborn among many brethren. Indeed, adoption at the human level itself is not an empty term, but involves receiving someone else's child as one's own, by which all the rights of children are granted to him as if he were a true and natural child. If that is the case at the human level, then certainly by that adoption by which God engrafts us into his son through the spirit of the adoption, Spirit of adoption, so that we are governed and made alive by His Spirit, 
we receive not merely the title, but full rights as children of God. We have true fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, our joy may be full. You who believe upon Christ, you are an adopted son of the Father because you have been engrafted into the Son of His love who was sent into this world for you and your salvation. May we believe that to be true. And may the truth of who the Son is and who we are in Him comfort us, spur us on to live as sons, and may it fill us with hope for what we know will be our eternal lot. Eternal fellowship. Beholding the face of our God. The face of the Son of His love. Let's pray.